So how did you wake up this morning? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I woke up heavy-hearted, and I woke up kind of panicked because it's a really, really full day, and my mind is spinning. I'm, I'm shocked that I slept, but I did. But I woke up with this barrage of things that I need to do, and it didn't feel very good. Yeah. Close to Jesus. <laughs> Who? <laughs> like, no, no. We started talking, and you looked at me and went, like, what's going on? I said, I need me some Jesus. I got to go. Yeah. And what about you? How did you wake up? You know, I don't like how I've been waking up. Mm. I woke up wondering, because of my feelings and all that was going on, am I a Christian? Like, do I believe anymore? Oh, that's the worst. Oh, it's horrible. Friends, welcome back to the Wild at Heart podcast here in the week of February 28th. And... That experience, I mean, everybody's got that, right? Everybody wakes up, you know, on the wrong side of the bed. Right, and I think it's good to say it out loud. Like, actually, that's part of the human condition. It is. Yeah. It is. However, the the things that we have been experiencing, the thing that I was describing this morning, there are forces in the world right now that are making it very difficult to stay connected to Jesus. Yes. And and to feel that you are, to experience that you are. And after prayer this morning, how are you? I'm back. (laughs) You are back. I can see it in your countenance. I'm good. Yes. And after prayer, um, and I love my morning prayers. I just love... I love it, but it's it's intentional. Like it takes focus and intentionality. I had to do a lot of dialing in. I realized that's not me. That feeling, either you were, you know, of overwhelmed or the feeling of just like a blankness spiritually, mm-hmm. that especially right now in this hour, the feeling of, gosh, do I believe? And where is God? And I'm to the the pulling away of the heart, these are the forces we've been talking about in the last year on this podcast. That's what you mean by that's not me. That's not me. Mm. That's not you. Yeah. That's not true of us, friends, all of us. It isn't. There are dark forces in the world that are really trying to come over the heart and the faith and the emotions and the thoughts of the friends of God. Yes, there are. And that's why we've been talking so much about strength and oil and the presence of God and tapping in, finding Christ within you Mm -hmm. and, and drawing upon, and then just the practical question of what are you doing on a daily basis to protect your intimacy with God to protect your union, to cultivate and draw upon and drink from. And I mean, I just had to start saying this morning, Jesus in me, Mm. Jesus in me. Yeah. And I had to start loving him. I love you. Even though right now I don't feel like it, Uh 
I can feel a whole lot of other things. I can feel like I'm not interested, like I want to just go eat breakfast. I can feel irritated, disappointed, yeah, yeah. maybe even a little resentful uh-huh. of Jesus and go, mm-hmm. no, that's not true. That's actually, I'm not giving my heart to that. And through the intentionality, finding him again, finding the strength. But as we've been talking about this over months and months and months now, I did find myself wondering something this week. It's the last couple of weeks. It's kind of been on my heart. Are we not being honest about the secret to it all? Are we not being true to what is true about life in God? Yeah. And it came back to me again with force when I was reading something else and I it quoted Second Chronicles 16, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Wow. I was really stopped by that. Yeah. Because I just wonder sometimes if we've given a wrong impression, we talk so much about the care of God for our humanity and he does. We talk so much about the importance of a life of the heart, and it's important, but there is a reality to life with God reflected in, in this passage and many like them as, as we are seeking the strength of God. Well, who is it that God strengthens? Does he strengthen everyone? The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully given to him. It's so sobering and so important because I think of the other things that God does, you know, that are unconditional. He pursues us to win us to himself. And grace and love, those are unconditional. They are. Always. They are available to every person at any time. Yes. But intimacy with God isn't. I'm going to say that again. Grace and love are unconditional, but intimacy with God isn't. Intimacy doesn't roll in on a tray. Intimacy takes a decision on our part, our pursuit of Him. The verse, you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. We have a responsibility in seeking God and making time for Him and making Him a priority of our lives and all of it, all of it. Gang, this is really important, and we just have to put this out there and be honest about it. The love of God and the grace of God are unconditional, but the help of God, the blessings of God, deeper life in God and all the riches of friendship with God, all the treasures of his kingdom are actually not unconditional. He reserves those for those who seek him with their whole heart. And gang, before you get your hackles up on this, like you know this to be true in your own relationships. Right. Okay, so just think about your heart and how you respond to a friend who keeps promising to meet you for coffee, but then they text you at the last minute and say, I'm so sorry, 
you know, something's come up. I've got to run my mom to the doctor. And there, there's usually reasons. Yeah, there's, valid reasons. You know, or the friend that you keep inviting, you know, to go backpacking with you or, hey, I really want to show you this beautiful beach that's a kind of a favorite spot of mine. Do you want to take a, a three-day trip and, and just spend some time together? And they're like, oh, maybe maybe next summer. Yeah, and if that goes on more than once or twice or three times, do you keep inviting them? You don't. Mm -mm. You don't. And when you finally do get together and they say, how are you? And in your heart, you're like, "Huh, uh no way. You don't get access to me. Where have you been? Right. Like, okay, so this is so true to human nature. Just think of your own heart, friends. Yeah, and this isn't a bad thing. This isn't just, I'm going to be self-protective. This is the way we are created. Right. Intimacy, the, the pearls of your heart, they're not just cast about, right? Exactly. The people who get the treasure of your friendship, the people who get the deep things of your heart are few and far between. Yeah. And they're the people who recognize it for the treasure it is. Yeah. So that when you're with that person and they say, how are you? You're right there. Like yeah. you're, you are so comfortable to open kind of the treasure house of your soul and your heart to them because you know, for one thing, they treat it as treasure. Right. They pursue you. Yes. They, yeah. They're intentional about it. They've conveyed that you matter to them. And I, I know, I know there's always a reason, the text that comes, I'm so sorry, I'm not feeling well today. I, you know, I'm so sorry. But you three or four times of that. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Like, I can feel my heart right now. Just nope. And they swing back around and they want to, hey, let's go out to dinner. Hey, let's. And they want to act like you can just pick up where you left off. You go, that is not how love works. That's not how relationship, it's not how the heart works. Right. And we're not saying you don't forgive them for that. You do. But nonetheless, there there is a separation. And it takes some time uh -huh. to rebuild confidence yeah. and trust and vulnerability. And they can. They can. You know, we are we are forgiving people. And you can recover lost ground in any relationship. You can. Marriages have to do this all the time. Yes. Several times in a year, mm. right? The mm -hmm. recovery of lost ground, et cetera. But gang, this is true of the heart of God. And so I just felt that we had to pause in our conversations and pursuit of a deeper life with God, of the Holy Spirit, of the strength, the oil, the resources that we do need in this hour. Yeah. Because I'm not the only one who's waking up feeling that stuff. Right. You're not the only one waking up feeling mm -hmm. that. You know, there. this is a really rough time to stay close to God. And we just need to name that. Like, there are forces in the world, for, spiritual forces in the world that are really trying to pull us away. Yeah. You could look at kind of the plot of the whole thing, the modern the modern world and how it wore out the human soul before the pandemic, before the crazy, you know, but then something like a global pandemic rolls through and it just depletes everyone. It burns up all your reserves in order to rally. And what's fascinating now, as we've mentioned before, now 
you can't get into a therapist. Right. Like they right. all it's have months of a waiting list. Yeah, six month waiting list. And the reason why is, you know, as people begin to quote recover mm -hmm. from all that we've been through, it puts you in touch with things that need to be dealt with. So, you know, recent trauma puts you in touch with past trauma, for example. Yeah. So this is a time we need strength. We need oil. We need God. And we've been talking about how important it is to care for your humanity, how much he loves, how much he wants to nurture and offer himself. But we got to just be honest about the other side of that. The secret, the secret of life with God is that the treasures, the intimacy, and, and frankly, even just his help are for those who value it. Yeah. And I want to clarify something. Um, though as, as human beings, I know in my own heart, I'll feel a reservation when there is somebody who um, has pulled away or, or who once I was a priority in their lives and who have, for whatever reasons, have other priorities. And then when they come back, how all like they, they got to kind of earn it a little bit more, the trust again. I don't there's a degree to which I don't think that is God's heart. I think the first time we turn back to him and he says, I've missed you, he's full on there. He's not going, oh, you got to earn it again. However, like we're saying is to plumb the depths of his heart, the riches of his heart, that intimacy with him, that requires time and intent and grows. Like we want more with God. If we want more with God, then we have to create the space to pursue more with God. I think that's really beautifully put. I want to be the elephant in the room. Okay. And say the feelings that people have so quickly towards God, the feelings that I have so quickly towards God of, come on, where were you? Why didn't you come through? What the heck? All of that, mm -hmm. which the enemy is really trying to jump on in this hour. Yes. Feelings, feelings of disappointment, mm -hmm. feelings of disillusionment, feelings of betrayal. This is the desolation thing we've been talking about. The, there, we just have to be honest to say the help of God is for those who treasure God. Yeah. It just is. Now, does he come through for the one who doesn't even know him yet? He does. Yes, does he, he does. pursue us? Yes. yes. Is he, you know, he told us to forgive 70 times a day. Is he forgiving? He is. But we just need to be honest that you can't treat God as sort of a treasure and then hope for his help. You can't regard him as optional. Do you see what I'm trying to get oh, at? Oh, I do, but there's a part of me that goes, ah, oh, what do you mean? He's not going to help me unless... But then there's the other part where I go, this is incredibly hopeful. This is actually really encouraging because, you know, when you were saying before the strength that we want, that we need, I was thinking the life that we want, the yes. life that we need. Yes. Well, that is found in one person. You know, yes, that's found in the Trinity. Yeah, and there's more available. So this is incredibly hopeful in that when we are living with a dearth of strength or or overwhelmed or just a heaviness, that's not the sentence 
even of no. our life or of our no. day even. No. When we turn to him, yes. we release things to him, when we seek him. Yes. So the famous quote by Chesterton that Dallas Willard then, you know, practically built a, a lifetime of teaching on was this. Chesterton said, Christianity has not been tried and found lacking. It has been found difficult and left untried. Mic drop. Whoa. Right? I mean, yes. there, there is just a truth yes. to you can't treat God casually and hope for phenomenal results. Boom. There you go. Okay. Yeah. So in an hour where we are weary, depleted, overwhelmed, harassed, or maybe doing great, maybe cruising along and, and things are great right now, there are dark forces. There is a pull to this hour. There is such a strong pull there to is. this hour. And the pull is to seek relief and happiness and things good again with God sort of optional to that. Now, if he's helping, awesome. But if he's not, we're immediately irritated, feel abandoned, feel rejected, and we're just ready to drop him and go seek it on our own. Mm -hmm. So I've been thinking a lot about the counsel of Jesus for those of us living at the end of the age. Like, what does he say? How do you navigate times like these? And it's really quite sobering that when he's finishing his thoughts on this in Luke 17, you know, he talks about, hey, it's going to be like the days of Noah. Everybody's going to be throwing parties and things are going to look completely fine. And suddenly I'm here and it's going to be like the days of Lot. And he uses these analogies, but then he says this, Luke 17, 32, remember Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will preserve it. Now, he's not referring primarily to martyrdom here. Mm -hmm. What he's talking about is where we go with our hearts in that moment. Remember Lot's wife. I want to go, holy cow, do y'all remember that story? That is a really, really sobering story. It is. It is. They are given a chance of escape. The angels come. They warn Lot, get your entire family out of here now. And they try. You know, he tries to get the fiancés. The fiancés of his daughters won't come. Right. So he grabs his daughter's wife. They all run out across the plain there. And, and the judgment comes, and Lot's wife looks back, meaning she turned back in her heart to the things that she loved of this world. And then you go, and Sodom? People, do you know what Sodom was like? Like, it was a really dark place. The name of the town literally means demons, right? And the way they treat the angels, you're going, holy cow, you know, gang rape of newcomers is the culture of this place. Like, this is a really dark culture, a violent, dangerous, pagan, evil culture. But there was wealth 
and there was right? the arts. Right. There was there was other great stuff that you would just uh, turn your face away from the evil to enjoy the benefits of living in this fortified capital where there's all this other stuff going It was on. the capital of the region for 1,500 years. Yeah, this was okay. no small city we're talking about here. This is a place of abundance and agricultural plenty. The plain around Sodom is verdant. It's lush. So they're enjoying all the fruits and the vegetables and the wine harvest. And it's a place that had the arts it was Nordstrom's. It, it was, you know, Amazon. It was it, life completely apart from God, yes. finding all your pleasures in yeah. these worldly things, and then untold evil. Actually, let's go back and retell the story for a moment, because there are some things in this that I don't think our listeners know and would be really, really helpful to hear. Our son Blaine has been researching a lot of history on some of the biblical stories. He's writing a book retelling some of these stories, and he actually wrote a piece on Lot's wife. Let me read it. Dawn was near in the valley of Sidim, and the wind was in the hills. A red line marked the horizon, and the valley was black. Lot ran on bleeding feet. He gripped his daughter's hands. They were wet with sweat. Lot's whole chest burned. He felt one daughter trip. Don't stop, he gasped. He turned and hoisted her. Don't look back, he said. Hurry, he called to his wife. The sun! The angels had arrived in the evening. Lot saw them first, appearing from the plain, with long shadows in front of them. Tall and lordly they seemed, with faces of judgment. There was no mistaking what they were. Lot ran to greet them and bowed. Please, he begged, my lords, come into my house. There was no other safe place. The angels declined. Lot argued, beseeched. The angels agreed. So Lot led them back by secret ways through the city of Sodom. Sodom. What a place it was. The name means devastation. That's what it meant, to burn, or demons. An older Akkadian, and it did live up to the name, together with its sister city, Gomorrah, binding, it cast a long black shadow on the valley beyond. The streets were dangerous, and the things Lot had seen, well, he did not speak of them. Not that he disliked it. He chose to live there twice, the second time after being captured by a foreign king. There was so much to eat and so many fine things to wear and all the things that a wealthy city could offer. This is it, he said. He pointed at a mud brick house and pushed the angels through the door. Sit down, he urged. He kicked some dirt off the rug. Eat. He wrung his hands and looked for his wife. He shut the windows then and barred the door, but someone had already seen. And the word went out. Lot had visitors with faces like gods. And the men of the city formed a mob and came to the door. They called to Lot to hand over the angels. Lot refused. He offered his daughters. There was a fight at the door. And then one angel raised an arm and struck the whole crowd blind. He drew Lot inside. Lot blinked until he saw the angel's face. Lot, the angel said. Is there anyone else you need to get out? Any family? He searched Lot's face. We're here to destroy the town, he said. 
How strange his face had looked, how stern and sure and unmistakably right, how unlike a human face. Lot shook himself. My daughters are engaged, he stammered. The men. Get them now, the angel commanded. Lot tried. He ran through the streets, past men and women with feral, hungry looks, all the way to his daughter's fiancé's homes. He pounded on the door. They appeared with sleep in their eyes and angry expressions. Lot urged and begged and cried, but the men wouldn't come. They didn't believe him. They never did. Lot left them, leering in the door. His daughters hid their eyes when he told them the news. Go now, the angel said. Go to the hills. Lot stopped. He looked sideways at his wife. She wouldn't like that. Please, Lot dared. There's a town nearby. It's an insignificant place. No trouble at all. Let us go there. The angel consented. Go swiftly. Do not look back. I cannot do anything until you are away. Flee, the angel said. And so Lot ran. He left the town and the things he had seen, the pride and death and vanity. He ran headlong into the desert with his family behind him. He ran up the road and then out to the plain with fatigue in his eyes and his feet raising dust. Not much further, he rasped over and over again. We're almost there. Until at last the sky was gray. The sun came up. Zoar was in front of them, little more than a well and a stable. Lot slowed and limped. Zoar, he panted. He squeezed his daughter's hands. We're here. He stepped ahead. And then abruptly, he stopped. Because with a roar like a huge shrieking eagle, the first stone hit. Lot pulled his daughters down, shouting for his wife. The sky blazed. Fire put strange shadows on the ground, and contrails of smoke divided the clouds. Lot had a daughter under either arm. He reached up desperately to grab his wife. The ocean sizzled and burned, and in the heat, hard winds of salt and rock strafed the hills. Get down, Lot screamed. He spread himself out to block the punishing heat. But in the cities of suffering, the brick walls turned to dust, and the pots melted to glass, and the fields burned away, and salt lay over it all. The fire was hot as the surface of the sun, the dirt petrified, and in a moment, it was done. Huge black clouds of smoke rose up towards the tents of Abraham. Lot lifted his head. He turned, and suddenly his face was still. There was his wife with her hands outstretched, but not to him, to Sodom. Lot stood. His wife was hard and still and white as bone. Lot touched her arm. It crumbled away. Salt, because she had looked back. But the word is so much more than that. She gave her attention to the place. She regarded the place. She depended on the place. And so she became a netzib, a pillar, but literally a prefect a garrison, an officer of the dead, watching over the dead. Well, I don't think we have ever said anything as heavy as that ever on the Wild at Heart podcast. But it is the story, nonetheless, that Jesus says, please don't, please don't look 
back. Don't be, don't be divided hearted in this hour. Don't look back. Look at me. Look to me. I'm the comfort you seek. I'm the love you seek. I'm the help you seek. Even if it doesn't feel like it right now, cling to me, hold to me, single-heartedness, because the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen you who will be wholehearted. So she looks back with a divided heart. There it is. Yeah. She's, it's it's yeah. the divided heart. Mm-hmm. That That's the issue there, is that she's double-minded. Mm. And in the long story of God's pursuit of our hearts, from chapter 3 of Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, and through the long story of God's pursuit of our hearts, from the Garden of Eden to this very moment and all the thousands of years in between, the issue, the battleground, the single thing he is most alarmed with, warns us about, urges us over, pleads in the prophets, right, woos, is the lack of Mm single-heartedness, right? It's Mm double-mindedness. Jesus says, these people of his day honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And when I woke up this morning, that's what I was feeling. My heart was, was feeling very pulled away from God. And I have a choice in that moment. I need God. I need to push against the current, swim against the river, get to God again, because that's where safety is and love and the provision and the blessing. Exactly. Exactly. And for me, it was waking up with overwhelmed. I had so much to do. So actually so much to do. But I was not tapping into the strength of God. It wasn't until I came away and fixed my attention on who our God is, Jehovah Jireh, the provider, this God of abundance Mm. in whom he's who I want. I mean, even if my lists don't get finished, but I live this life today in union Mm. with him, it's a good day. Yes. Yeah. So Jesus also says in the Gospel of Luke, he says, ask me for the strength to escape the pull of this hour, Mm -hmm. okay? So the pull of the hour is to seek relief and joy and stability again without God. Just, no, we love God. It's not like blasphemy and, you know, you're going to get a tattoo, I hate Jesus on my forehead, but it's that subtle turn of the heart that says what I'm really interested in right now is this vacation I'm planning. What I'm really interested in is this job I want, this relationship I'm hoping will come through. You know, good things, but you know, the battle for the human heart is what will we give our heart over to? Oh, that's it. And even as you say, John, about the, the looking toward what will bring me life, I'm aware that in my own life, ah, I've been doing Lot's wife. I've been looking back. To, oh, remember then, or, you know, remember when the kids were little and life was simpler or, you know, just... Or remember that great trip we had as a family? Can we get that back? Can we... (laughs) And I start thinking, how can we get that back? Right, right. 
And here's where God has me in this, is not saying that these longings are bad. They are fabulous, and I remember them, and I treasure them. And I'm, I am hopeful. I'm looking forward to creating some new joys and memories. But the thing is, the core of it isn't that I find my life here. They, they all speak of a deeper longing of my life with God yes. in whom all these things are actually met. He, he's my home. Yeah. He's the only one that's going to satisfy yes. these, these deep longings. He is connection and he is beauty and, and he loves intimacy and intimacy with others. So it's like this disentangling of yeah. here or what I can arrange and um, trusting God. It's really true. It, it is the shepherding of our hearts in a very difficult hour. Back to single-heartedness. We have been given the beauty and the opportunity, the responsibility and the high charge to shepherd our own hearts. And in this hour, with the pull, I want a bottle of wine and Netflix. I want a three-week vacation in Hawaii. I just want life to be good right? And if God's helping, awesome, I believe. But if he doesn't seem to be helping, wow, I can go to unbelief in a moment. These strong forces, the pull right now, the pull of the world. You know, I don't, I don't think it's ever been more clear. What was the passage you were quoting this morning about friendship with the world? Oh, oh, this is, talk about sobering. You know, this is from First John 2. This is 15 through 17. Let me, let me just read the whole passage. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Okay, so again, we've got, to, we've got to quickly catch people because this passage does not mean do not love nature. Right. That's not what it means do by the world. Do not love people. doesn't mean do not, that. No, it doesn't mean don't love your hopes for the future, what you, you know, the career you want for your children or whatever it is. No, it's not. It's saying that the world as it's being used in this passage is the system that's trying to recreate Eden apart from God. Mm. So anywhere and everywhere you see that, we can make life work without God. And I, I was warning folks back, you know, when the pandemic was at its height and, you know, first height in 2020, and I said, look, this is a phenomenal opportunity for, for a revival to take place. Yes. People do not seek God when their life is great. They seek God when they need help, okay? And so if the world fixes its problems one more time without God, that is not a good thing because it just entrenches that whole belief. Yeah, where's my savior? Yeah, we can make it work, gang. We can pull ourselves out of this. And it's a very John Lennon kind of view of the world. We don't uh -huh. need God. We don't need religion. We don't need any of that stuff. We can live in a world where we're all just loving one another and everything's beautiful. And you go, no, you can't. Have you been around humanity? Like that, that is not work. We desperately need 
the only one who can fix the human race, the only one who can fix the future. And so when it says don't love the world, it's talking about that system of we can make life work without God. And then all the little comforts and the attitudes and the values that go with that. Okay. So that's what Lot's wife turned back to Mm. in her her double-mindedness. Her heart was not fully given over to Yahweh. Right. Her, Her heart was split between yeah. that and the comforts and the pleasures and the values and the attitudes and the new shows of this world. And we get it, gang. We get it. We get it. But what we're just trying to say is God is ready to offer his help. He is ready to strengthen those whose hearts are fully given over yeah. to him. Yeah. And so this morning for me, the cloud I was under was pretty awful. And I just had to begin with, I love you. No, I, no, I love you, God. I love you. I am not a double-minded person. I'm not. No, I love you. I love you. I seek you. And it took a while into my prayers for any of my feelings to change. Mm. But as I pressed in, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm coming out from under this riptide or being in a strong current Ah, yeah, that's just pulling me towards unbelief or come on, God, where are you? Resentment. I mean, he's just, the enemy is trying so hard to desecrate the temple right now, which is the hearts of God's mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Go, no, no, no. I choose single-heartedness. I choose it in this moment because I need your help, God. I love you and I need your help. I I want you. I want your strength. I want intimacy. I want the treasures of the kingdom. And desperately, right? More desperately now than probably at any other time in our life, which is saying a lot. One of the things that I love about this, John, and what I love about God is the whole we love because he first loved us. Mm-hmm. And so it's a response. And the more we press into God, the more we see him as he truly is, the more we love him. Yes. Yes. So it was part of what sounded this alarm bell for me of, are we being honest with our listeners? That was kind of the, the whole genesis of this yeah. conversation yeah. was in all of our pursuit of well-being are we being honest with people? Are, are we telling them, hey, th- this, this is what it is. Yeah, this actually requires something of you. Well, you know, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. So he's looking to offer help to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Like he wants yeah, he does. to help. And so I was listening to another podcast, and they quoted this beautiful line from Thomas Akempis, and this is what began to, to wake me up. It was just like this reminder. He said, above all things and in all things, O my soul, rest always in God. In other words, like, where's your comfort place? Where's your place of security? Where, where is your safe harbor? For he is the everlasting rest of the saints. Grant, most sweet and loving Jesus, 
that I may seek my repose in you, my well-being, my satisfaction, mm. my comfort right now. That's, that's what he means by the word repose. Four, my heart cannot rest or be fully content until rising above all gifts and every created thing, it rests in you. In other words, I choose you, God. I choose you above all things. And I think about part of what Lot's wife was struggling with was loss. Yeah. Right? She was losing the life that she had known. Mm -hmm. And to say, whatever may come, I choose you above all things. I do pray for your help with this job. I do pray for this new relationship. I would love to get to the ocean this year, Lord. Of course, those are all good things, but I choose you. What does he say? Rising above all gifts and every created thing. I choose you. And that's the secret, friends. We just have to be frank about that, right? God says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. 